everybody. Welcome back to Scraps. It's a podcast where we explore the stories behind the people who drive science and scientific innovations. And if you were ever wondering why we have a typo in our podcast name, it's not actually a typo. It's because Scraps is Sparks spelled backwards. And we use Sparks because it's the spark of scientific brilliance that we seek to capture. And we also thought it might be a good way for us to stand out and for you to remember us. Um, one last little bit is is um, about sparks and scraps is frequently when we're at our conferences and we're sitting at a bar with our colleagues and we come up with a great idea, that idea translates to a little scrap of paper or a little on the back of a napkin that has the possibility to change the future. So with that, I'd like to um, have our co-host, my co-host, Arun Sridhar, join us and introduce today's guest. Thanks, Jojo. I'm pretty excited to have our guest today as uh, she seems to have grown from having a basic science degree to a joint master's and a business degree and has served across multiple companies in the product management and in more recently in strategic partner management as well. She's very well connected and I have had the privilege of knowing her for the last five years. Uh, She's super keen and never shies away from the three tenets of learning on the job uh, that I always hold very dear to my heart, which is involve agitate and propagate. And I think that will be the focus of our conversation today. A very deep, uh, a very brief description of our guest. She holds uh, a BS in biochemistry and cell biology from UC San Diego. And right off undergraduate uh, degree, she worked for Edwards Life Sciences. And if you heard of her podcast from the Hartwell pioneer Stan Rowe, you would have heard of Edwards Life Sciences. She then decided that it was time for her to pursue her joint master's at Duke um, with master's in biomedical engineering and an MBA. And during that time, her entrepreneurial journey started while where she actually partnered with three other students to co-found a startup called Serene Biomedics, um, which actually won the Duke Startup Challenge. I met her in 2016 when I was at GlaxoSmithKline and we joined hands with Verily to create Galvani Bioelectronics. She was the alliance manager at Verily Life Sciences, um, which is formerly called as Google Life Sciences, and was a critical cog in the wheel in ensuring a smooth running of two diametrically opposite cultures. Before Verily, I think she was at Boston Scientific, Neuromodulation, and Stryker Neurovascular. So that gives you the expanse of, of med device and med technology that she has. Um, and she has moved medical devices through all stages of development, including the commercialization across global markets and product development. Um, and then late in 2019, uh, she decided that she had enough of her journey so far, and she decided to go on a sabbatical. I think that is something that I've admired at how amazingly resilient and bubbly she has been over the years. And the only way to describe our guest today is that she's strong mentally as I am. But hey, wait, I just found out while I was researching about our guest that she is also an Ironman triathlete. Um, and now she has started an amazing initiative called Health Tech Hunches. And we are very much going to talk about that. Welcome to Scraps, Carolyn. And I know her as Carolyn Noel, but now she's called us Carolyn Casterton. Welcome, Carolyn. Well, thank you, Arun, for the very kind introduction. And thank you, Jojo, for having me today. I'm thrilled to be here. Thanks. So this is a pretty diverse background. And it it strikes me that you 
with with all of these different pathways, it almost feels like this was something that you had predetermined that you knew early on what you wanted to do. Is that true? You know, I have to be honest with you, Jojo. Um, that's not true. I, I would never have envisioned that I'd be where I am today back when I was an undergrad at UCSD. Uh, I started my, my journey with this, um, with my bachelor's in biochemistry and cell biology, and I was actually running a research project. So this was undergrad-led research project in a molecular biology lab. And at the time, uh, my vision was to go get my PhD and be a research scientist. So that's a you know, completely different path. Um, but you know, by the time I was graduating, I thought, you know, I don't know if I'm really ready to get my PhD. I had done some pretty intense research for three years and thought, you know, it might behoove me to gain some experience in industry, you know, get a paycheck right before I go to graduate school and kind of see what's out there. So um, what I ended up doing is I applied to, you know, a number of positions and one of which was at Edwards Life Sciences. For those who are you know, familiar, it's an amazing company, right, have developed very innovative products, cardiovascular space. And I um, received a position as a lab tech. So that was the first role that I took, you know, coming out of school. And, um, you know, I joined the company, again, amazing company, amazing development programs, joined the team, started working in the lab and realized, oh my goodness, you know, I'm used to leading research. This is a routine testing job. And to be fair, you know, coming out of undergrad, I didn't know what to expect. I didn't know the right questions to ask, you know, during my, my interview to understand, is this similar to what I did or different to what I did? But I learned things very quickly. You know, in the first month or two, I pretty much learned the tasks. And while it was a really important job, it wasn't stretching the muscles that I had kind of hoped to, you know, based upon my research experience. So what I did when I was there, and the team was, was wonderful working with me, um, is I kind of partnered up with another gentleman on the team who was working with all of the product development teams in the company to help them understand what biology, chemistry, and microbiology testing needed to be done uh, for these products to be pushed through the FDA. And so I kind of on the side started volunteering with him because then I got to meet all the engineers. I got to see all the different projects and started consulting a bit in that role. Long story short, uh, I ended up moving over to that role full time and worked with all the product development teams. That's what gave me visibility into the engineering behind the devices. So I'll pause there. That's kind of what, that was actually like my first pivot. That's pretty, I, I early on, my first major was accounting. And I thought, this is great. I love it. At the end of the day, all the numbers foot, everything lines up. There's a, there's a definite right answer. And then I went through an IPO with a company and it was really stressful. And at the end of the day, I looked and I said, you know, I'm looking at these expense reports from the marketing team and they are having far more fun than I am. And so that's when I made the switch. But yours sounds much more exciting than mine did. Well, you know, at the time, uh, what I wanted to understand was kind of what was under the hood, right? So to you, you know, the marketing side was fun. Marketing is a lot of fun, right? And at Edwards, you know, I was seeing all these products come through the lab and we we're chopping them up and testing them. And I, I wanted to understand better how they worked, how they were designed. And so that's kind of what piqued my curiosity to your point. So while I was, um, you know, working in this role and engaging with the engineers, 
I also decided to take the second year of calculus while I was working. Now, this was not easy, right? Imagine, I think I was coming to the office at five, leaving my whatever it was, two or three in the afternoon. I mean, 5 a.m., I was coming in by myself to get my work done so I could go to UC Irvine and take like extension classes in calculus that normally, you know, an undergrad in engineering would take in their second year. Because I figured, you know, um, this job was interesting, but I wanted to get more on that technical side. And I figured grad school was probably the next step for me, but I didn't have an engineering degree, right? And normally these engineering schools, you know, you have to have an undergrad in engineering. So I, um, I took the second year of Calc when I was working. I got, good, I got good marks in that and then applied to a bunch of biomedical engineering programs in the country and basically said, you know, um, I don't have an engineering degree, but I've done the second year of math. Will you, will you give me a shot? Pretty much. And I got into a number of the programs the one I picked was Duke. And the reason I picked Duke is I, I wanted to deepen my understanding in, in engineering, but I was also piqued on the business side, right? That also caught my attention. So going back to original question, Jojo, clearly I was not set on a certain direction at this time, right? I was interested in engineering. I was interested in business. Duke had both. Um, you know, I heard good things about the school and that's uh, my plan was to go to Duke, study engineering during the day, hang out at the business school at night because I thought I'm too young to, to pursue the MBA. I've been like two years out of undergrad uh, and then try to start a company at the same time. So that was kind of an aggressive goal, but I figured let me give it a shot. And I think too, the fact that I didn't roll out of undergrad and go straight to grad school, you know, having a paycheck is a sobering effect, right? Like I was giving up that paycheck. So I was on a mission. When I went into Duke, I wanted to make the most of that experience, right? Because that's two years where I'm paying for school and not making money. Um, so that's what brought me there. Um, and when I, when I joined the program, did exactly what I planned, you know, worked, uh, spent the day in engineering, spent the evenings in the business school and worked on a startup company that Arun had, um, had, um, alluded to called Serene Biomedics. We were developing a device to treat epilepsy through cooling the brain. Uh, and that, that was kind of my foray into actually neuromodulation and entrepreneurship. Yeah, that's 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 a fantastic way to kind of how you have adapted your path and your journey based on your experiences, Carolyn. Thanks so much for sharing that. But then when you reached Duke, I mean, you actually made the choice to actually do dual masters, correct, with with MBA and your masters in biomedical engineering. Um, so tell us about kind of what challenges that you encountered when you actually had to do those dual degrees there was was that a common thing or was it something that you actually had to pursue? Because all of that, I think, eventually led to the startup that you were that you were talking about. Um, but yeah, I mean, the Duke Biomedical Degree Program is a fantastic program. We actually had uh, the Warren on our, uh, he was one of our first podcast guests anyway, and I've worked with Warren for many, many years. Uh, but having said that, I think there is, there is a big transition from, from being kind of in, in a technical job at Edwards to moving into kind of uh, grad school and then making the transition over. So tell us about those challenges that you actually had to encounter there uh, at the time at Duke. No, that's a great question. So um, just to take a step back. So actually Serene started before I even, you know, Serene Biomedics started before I even applied for business school. So I'd come in in engineering. I joined a team of students that were, working with this um, startup in the area on this concept for a device to treat epilepsy through cooling the brain. And we ended up creating the startup. 
So it was uh, PhD students, myself, and it actually was an MBA. MBA student was part of the team early on as well. And um, while I was working on a startup doing my studies, I did hang out at the business school, as I said. And I think the best way to get in with a group of people, as you said, you know, it wasn't my background, that's for sure, was to volunteer. Everyone always needs volunteers. So I volunteered for the Duke Startup Challenge. And uh, that's how I met other business school students. And some of them said to me, they're like, we are clearly interested in business. Why aren't you just applying now? You're already here. And I said, I thought I was too young. I thought I didn't have enough experience. And they're like, well, why don't you give it a shot? I thought that's true. So what I did is I looked at the other programs the school offered. Ends up there were a number of joint degree programs where you could get a master's in business administration and something else. You know, there was a joint degree with the law school, with the med school, with the school of the environment, no engineers. And so what I did is I put a plan together, you know, of how I'd complete both degrees in three years. And I went to the business school and I pitched it. And I said, hey, take a look at this. I'd love to do this. I think I can bring, you know, basically diversity to the program. You don't have any other engineering students. What do you say? And so they said, okay, well, that's interesting. We're open to it. Go take the GMAT. Let's see how you do. So I did. I did well enough. And they let me in third round. I think they, uh, they only let around 11 students in third round. So they were they were holding a spot for me. So that's how that happened. Um, and I think, you know, it was just a matter of being efficient with my classwork. You know, I took, I actually completed two full degrees, the engineering and the business school. And then I spent a lot of my time on the startup. Uh, but it, it worked out quite nicely. And I think the, the skills that I gleaned from both programs were really helpful um, towards the startup. And as Arun had mentioned, we ended up winning the Duke Startup Challenge, which was you know, a lot of fun at the time, a great achievement. So you, in addition to, to the accomplishment of creating the first 36 hour day to do all this stuff, you're also a bit of a unicorn in that a business degree combined with a technical degree in, in engineering is still pretty rare for me in my experience in the field. It's even more rare than an MD PhD which component, if you can separate the two, do you find is has been more important in your experience so far? Oh, that's a good question. I think one or the other are more important at different times. It depends on what you're doing. Um, and it depends on your role. I would say stepping back big picture, I consider myself a highly technical business person, not a business savvy technical person. So if I were to take a job, right, it's probably going to be in a business, um, you know, business kind of forte, right? But having the technical background enables me to diligence something. It enables me to understand the engineers and work well with them and understand risk and put how, you know, how to put together a product development plan. You know, all of those things that I think are very important when you're making business decisions. So I wouldn't say one is more important than the other. I would think I think I use my business skills day to day the most. But I leverage those engineering skills regularly as well. It's kind of the blend between the two. Yeah, and that actually moved you over to kind of Boston Scientific and then over to Stryker with respect to the neurovascular division there at Stryker. So talk to us about kind of the varied experiences because both of them were product management roles. But I think you had a very different type of type of skill sets that you actually had to apply in both the companies in terms of the markets and what you actually do. So, so can you actually give us a bit more insight into 
your roles at both Boston Scientific and Stryker? Absolutely, Arun. Um, uh, what, what I'd say is Boston, well, first, let's talk about how I made it from grad school to Boston Scientific, because I think that's an important pivot, you know, in terms of uh, my direction, my career. So I'd worked on this startup for three years. We won Duke Startup Challenge. We actually won Southeast Bio, which is not a student competition. I mean, it's a major conference and a, a couple other competitions. So we had the validation around the idea. The reason I chose to leave and go to a big company is I didn't feel personally ready to start a company focused on brain implant at that time. And the reason was I really wanted to better understand the clinical and the regulatory pathway. I felt that was important for me to be working on something in this domain. And that was a personal decision. Someone else could have said, I'm ready to go. I'm just going to figure it out. For me, I wanted to uh, have more background before starting a company in that type of domain. So I moved to Boston Scientific Neuromodulation. It was similar you know, themes, implantable medical device, neuromodulation. It was a small, high-growth division of a great company. And, um, you know, I guess le lemonade out of lemons, I came right after the warning letter lifted. So they were pumping out products. And what this gave me an opportunity to do is work on implantable medical devices from concept through launch, which saying you did that in four years, I mean, it sounds, you know, a little silly, but for all of us who work in the space, it takes a long time to develop these products, right? So I was able to do that from a product development standpoint and then work commercially globally. So I worked on a number of different product launches, sold products, you know, in, in different areas of the world and really understand the kind of commercial dynamic. So that that's what I worked on at Boston Scientific, had an incredible experience. And I moved on to Stryker Neurovascular prompted by a personal move. I actually moved to the Bay Area to be with my now husband and moved to a product ma a management role in the neurovascular space, so the stroke. So similar type of role, but the work was different. In this situation, they hired me to develop a product. They had an idea, you know, an unmet need. And I came in and I started doing market research. I was talking to, you know, many, many physicians in the stroke space. And I realized, yes, there was an opportunity for um, what the, the company had conceived, but there was a much bigger, bigger opportunity somewhere else. And I actually went back to the business and said, you know, I can run what you asked me to do, but I think we should pivot and focus on this other thing. Well, ends up, we ended up getting like funding for that. And it was a top ranked program in the division, you know, by the time I left. Uh, and I think, you know, I want to loop back on how I use the engineering muscles. A big part of what made that pivot successful was my relationship with engineering. I had my partner, Tim, who was amazing to work with. And um, I always involved him in all the market research, you know, as much as he wanted to go to, obviously he had to do his engineering work. We were, we really worked together well as a team. And I think that was important. Um, and a lot of that was cheers to him. It was also the fact that I have background in both areas. So that's the work I did at Stryker, again, in the neuro space, but more focused on the early stages of product development rather than the commercial side. Yeah, and that from there, that actually took you over to Verily um, in early 2016, which is just a few months before we launched Galvani at the time. So you, have, you were part of all of those discussions at the time uh, that ultimately led to all of the things that uh, that went into Galvani Bioelectronics and all of that. So I think in terms of your experience at Verily, I think that has shaped you in a very different way, where... In the previous roles, you were very much in a product management and commercial roles, as you kind of rightly pointed out there, Carolyn. I think Verily kind of 
helped you apply a lot of your your kind of management and leadership skills in a very different way and uh, and I know it I experienced it firsthand uh, being part of the whole effort there um, and it it'll be fantastic for you to kind of just talk about how did those roles at Merrily kind of help you develop your your soft skills as they as they call it not so soft in reality but definitely as people refer to uh, soft skills Oh, absolutely, Arun. And I, I second that. They, it is the soft skills. That was the most important thing, I feel like, in a, in a partnerships job. But, but to back up to your original question, you know, how did I end up shifting? Uh, you know, I was having a good experience at Striker. I was very passionate about the product that I was working on. Uh, and then I had the opportunity. I actually got picked up at an event. Someone overheard me talking about my work at Striker and how excited I was and said, hey, I work for Google. You sound like you'd be good for the life sciences team. You know, I think I should send in your information. And, you know, I was a little torn on it at the time because I was passionate about what I was working on. But there was that part of me that was very curious about how Google innovated. Right? I, w- I wanted to know what was under the hood, what was going on in that organization. And ends up, they were very excited about me because the company wanted to get into Neuromod. You know, they wanted to get into neuromodulation. So they brought me on board as, you know, part of the small group of people at Verily to get that going, you know, Eventually, you know, obviously worked with Arun, the you know, Galvani team, the GSK team to make Galvani. So I got picked up for that reason. And I took a, a partnerships role, an alliance management job. And that was an intentional pivot. I had spent the last, what, four or five years focused on product, even though I worked on development and commercial. The commercial sense, you know, the product was always my, my primary focus. When you move into the partnerships role, it's now the people, Right. It is we call them partners, not customers, but it is uh, an outward facing role where you are focused on the people. And so that, to your point, Arun, like helped me build these new muscles. So when I came in, you know, it was obviously a pleasure, you know, working with you and the team, building up Galvani. I would say um, you know, we think about what does it take to make partnerships work? The main thing I've learned, it boils down to two things. The rest you can solve. Right. Number one, do your visions align? right? Is everybody looking at the same North Star? And number two, is everyone committed to making it work? If you have those two things, you know, bringing on the right talent, building the right technology, pivoting when things fail, because it is inevitable, right? All of those things, right? You're going to have twists and turns in the path. If you don't, it means you weren't doing something that was truly unique, right? But I think the two main things are, are we all looking at the same North Star, and is everyone committed to making it successful? And that, if you step back, that's the softer side, right? And then the rest flows from there. So I, I think I would I would want to get your take on one other thing, which is personality chemistry. So you've got the alignment and you've got the dedication, but it, even when you have those things, there are bound to be personality clashes. How do, how do you manage that? So I think or, or at least anticipate or prepare for it. Yes. You know, so it's inevitable. All partnerships go through this. There's always going to be personality clashes or personality clashes, you know, amongst members of the same team within the same company. Right. Then you 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 add two different cultures together, as Arun alluded to. Right. From different continents, from different technical backgrounds, you know, all those things. And there, it's it's inevitable that you're going to have clashes. I think uh, people learn to work together and that just takes time right? That's a given. So that just takes time. I think what needs to underlie it all is trust. 
Because if you trust someone meant well when they said something, it kind of, you know, blows over your head or what have you. It's if you don't trust where, you know, anxiety and, and questioning will happen. So then the question is, how do you get to trust, right? I think part of it is having the same vision and being confident around that. And part of that, I would say, um, is shared success and shared suffering. You know, if a team goes through a hard time together and then comes out on the other side, or they complete a milestone together, things like that, that brings people together. I think those are really the key things. Anything else I think is kind of icing on the cake, but um, it's are people's kind of hearts in the right place? Are they committed? And do they mean well? Uh, another thing that can can help you get there, and I remember it was actually, I think it was Chris who who prompted this room, but if, if he didn't prompt it, he was definitely an evangelist of it. We all did one of those kind of personality assessments and you were, you were color green, yellow, blue, you know, whatever it was. And it was an eye opener for me. And I actually realized someone where I wasn't gelling as well with was on the other end of the spectrum. And I know for me, I tend to be a more straight, I'm analytical, very analytical, more straight faced. I just learned to smile more when I communicated with this person in my, you know, it made my posture a bit different. It, it changed the relationship. It was so easy. But the fact that we went through that exercise and kind of took ourselves out of, you know, our day to day and reflected on, you know, how we interact with each other and our strengths and kind of our areas for development, what might appeal to one person, what might appeal to another really helped me. So that's a tactical thing. But I think that's secondary to the more kind of um, bigger picture pieces that I mentioned. Yeah, and I'm just laughing here, Carolyn, when you're just narrating that, because I still remember exactly where we all were when we actually did it all together. It was here in the UK. And um, I still remember two big things, big reflections for us at a company level and for me at a team level. So uh, uh, the first thing at at a company level between the two kind of partners here, I think everybody on the West Coast side was all kind of fiery red, like the typical kind of Silicon Valley go getter attitude. And then everybody on this side of the pond, or most of them, like I would say probably 95% of the people that you're working on the other side, were all like kind of more of kind of consensus builders and made sure that everybody was on board. They didn't want to hurt feelings type of personalities. And I think it was probably one of those exercises that we did so at, at a very early time in our partnership there. And that cemented so much of kind of, I, uh, it helped us understand the other other side. Um, uh, even when we were saying a normal statement, I think it helped us understand how it would be kind of perceived on the other side. And then for me personally, it's like my own team in the in the company was it wasn't by design. Apparently, I had hired, and people later told me that I had done a reasonable job. Where everybody had hired were exactly the diametrically the opposite colors of me. Uh, and I was like bright and sunny yellow and they were all like blue, deep blue. So they were much more analytical than I was. And it was like, so it was, it's, it was bizarre how it all kind of fit together. Um, and yeah, it was a valuable, valuable exercise, but I think, yeah, point well taken in terms of understanding and alignment and all of that. Um, and if I may chime in Arun, I think this was really helpful. I mean, I showed a per, a per, the personal side of it. You shared kind of the team side of it. But the most important thing is that it was prompted by somebody who cared about bringing the team together. You know, we go back to like what makes a team work is trying this. And that's another thing with these partnerships. You may try something to bring a team together and it doesn't work. You may try five things and they don't work. And then that last thing does. 
it, sometimes you don't know what's going to cause chemistry across a group, right? You don't always know, but it's the interest in trying and testing things out. And if they don't work out great, say, oh, that didn't work out great. We tried, we gave it a shot. Who else has an idea? We'll try someone else's idea, right? It's that openness and the genuine concern um, for making people feel comfortable and ultimately do their best work, right? Because anytime you bring companies together, teams together, you're bringing incredible talent together. How do you make them shine in their best way as one team, right? And it can be different depending on the cultures, the team dynamics and all the rest. So this is actually a perfect segue because a lot of the evaluations of what's happening at work today has been sort of percolating now. Everybody thought, oh, COVID, we're going to work from home and we can do this and it'll be exactly the same. We're just, you know, in our pajamas from the lower lower half. And, and I think that people are really starting to realize that the interpersonal connections really do thrive or, or advance more rapidly or um, go deeper when we have that face-to-face physical connection. What's what's your take on on how team building can happen or continue to happen or or not lose the the depth that you've managed to achieve in the past? You know, great question, uh, Jojo. So I'm going to answer this kind of on two fronts. So what I've seen, so let's think back. We all went, you know, uh, shelter in place around March timeframe, at least in California. That's when we all went home from our jobs. At that time, I shifted from my prior role at Verily to, you know, helping to scale the COVID testing sites. So in that situation, we had pulled a bunch of folks across Verily and Google into this combined team. So everyone was thrown in together. You know, each one of us hadn't necessarily worked with the other people we were working with. Right. So you're in this intense kind of crisis management situation with the um, with the pandemic, with a bunch of people you don't know exclusively over Google Hangouts or Zoom. And I think this goes back to the kind of shared success, shared suffering and greater mission. That team worked incredibly well together. It was it was amazing. And actually, I made great friends doing it. And we actually became very, very close. And I think it was that single mission. Everyone was on board. Everyone was contributing to the greater good above themselves. Um, there were hard times with it, obviously challenges, but there was incredible success. As we started seeing those, you know, those testing sites increase in number and, you know, we received good feedback on the quality. That's what kind of brings the team together because we feel that we are impacting, you know, impacting care for these people who need it and testing to make sure we're keeping people as safe as possible. So that's an example where, I actually, I'll be honest. So I'm a blue, you know, in Arun's, uh, the color coding scheme, right? I'm an analytical person. I do pretty well over Zoom. But I think most people in that environment did pretty well. It was intense. But in terms of relationships, we built strong relationships. Now, you know, I ended up leaving Verily to take some time off, you know, over the summer. And I, you know, obviously interact with colleagues and friends that I've known before, but I'm also meeting a tremendous number of new people through the startup world, you know, cause I've been looking at, you know, I started health tech hunches and I've been looking at a number of different things, you know, to, in the interest of starting my own thing here. And I think what has brought me closer to people is um, helping one another out. So I, I do a ton of intros with folks, other entrepreneurs, people have already started companies and we share ideas. We do jam sessions on like their challenges or opportunities, what have you. 
And I think there is a trust built there and also a gratitude, you know, that someone is helping you and you're, you know, kind of both ways. And I'm building relationships that way too. So I, I focus less on how I'm communicating with the person, but more about the relationship that is being built by the kind of the shared yeah. experience and the help that we're providing one another. At least that's where I try to focus. Yeah, that, that's that's an excellent segue uh, into kind of the health conscious part of what we wanted to speak with you, Carolyn. I think, tell us a bit more. I think when we spoke and and I kind of poked a bit, it was a fantastic, fantastic effort. And I think it's going to serve quite, I mean, it's already serving quite a large swathe of, of, of students who are trying to get into the digital health space. But I think I'll let you... Um, kind of tell us all about it. I think that and how, first of all, why and then how you're doing it. Yep. So happy to do that. So the why is number one, I, um, I would say mentoring is a core value of mine. I love to give back to the next generation. I'm very involved with Duke. I chair a board for the business school, actually chair their healthcare alumni advisory board for the business school. And because of that, you know, I'm pretty visible on the campus. I was also, I think at one point in time, the only alum that worked at Verily. And, you know, when you have a small company where, you know, that's exciting within a new space, you're going to have students and alums reach out within the alumni community. So I was in, honestly inundated. I received so many cold outreaches from the alumni group saying, you know, um, can you talk to me about digital health? How did you pivot into the space? Uh, what is it like to work at Verily? Can you help me get a job there? I mean, I just get a lot of inquiries. And where I struggled is that I wanted to help all these people. And I tried to pick up every call. But I started realizing that 90% of the questions were the same. There's a lot of the same questions. And when you're re- receiving upwards of four outreaches a week for the same topic, you've got an issue here, right? Like it just, it's not scalable, you're having the same conversation over and over and you want to help these people, but it's, you know, takes a lot of time too. Right. So that's where I started to get creative because I want to think of a new solution. So I decided to shoot videos of myself answering the most common questions at the time I put it on carolynnohale.com. And then when people reached out, I got back to them immediately. I said, Hey, take a look at these videos. And if you have second order questions, follow up with me and we'll find time to talk. So what happened is people who weren't that interested, you know, they kind of fell off. People who were watched them and then sent me second order questions. And the quality of the conversation afterwards was a hundred times better. Now I'm not answering, how did I get into digital health? I'm answering, you know, maybe they have two offers. They're making a decision between the two. Or I remember someone reached out and said, my offer was delayed six months because of COVID. I'm losing my visa in a month. What do I do? Then we can dig in and I can be like, okay, let's think of, you know, let's problem solve this, you know, and really try to help that person, send them roles, do whatever I can. Those are the conversations I'm most excited about, right? So I had product market fit and of one. I was like thrilled about this, right? My, my little, my, my one page website was, was working out pretty well. So I started rallying my friends in Alphabet and said, hey guys, this is a great tool for me. Do you want to get on? And the interesting thing is some of these people received a tremendous amount of inbound. We're like, I'm in, you know, tell me what you want me to do. I want to use this. And others said, well, I'd be happy to give back, but I don't hear from that many students. And that's what made me realize that it's just a messy ecosystem. There are people who have incredible backgrounds who aren't receiving any inbound. There are people who also have incredible backgrounds who are hearing from multiple students a week. And then there's students who have access to these people and there's students who have access to nobody. 
right? Because they don't have the network. And I thought, you know what? This is chaos, right? This is kind of a messy system. Let's put some order in here and let's democratize access to this space. And I think that the key thing underpinning it all is digital health is super hot. You know, there's been, I mean, a huge impact made by digital health in 2020 with COVID hands down, right? There's, you know, increasing amount of funding, record-breaking funding into the space this year. There's been a number of exits which help to validate digital health, right? So it's a rocket ship and it's growing like crazy and we need more talent, but it's very hard for talent to get in. And I want to democratize access to that. So the whole the whole premise behind this is helping the next generation of talent enter digital health. So that's what it's about. We started with videos on the website. As any other, you know, kind of new program, you pivot, right? When you understand what people what people really want. We still do that, but the the main focus are these fireside chats that we throw every week, and they're Ask Me Anything sessions with professionals of digital health. And really what they are are scaled cold calls. You can get anywhere. We have anywhere between 10 and 60 students show up each time, and they ask all those questions that they want to ask people, but, you know, sometimes have a hard time connecting connecting Uh, to them. I I get quite a few students reaching out to me because they're misguided, but they think I have some answers that they don't yet have anyway. Um, but one of the things that I ask them to do is I'll, I'll take the time and I'll have a conversation with them. Well, I'll allocate an hour, but I do require that if they want to use any of my contacts or ask me to make an introduction, you know, after I get their CV and see what they want to do, what they're interested in. But I require that they complete an assignment of sorts. So I say, these are the companies that I see that could be a potential fit for you. You have to go back and research these. Tell me which ones of these companies, not all of them, because I'm not I'm not doing all of this for you, but tell me specifically why you think you're a fit for these individual companies. That's that's a fantastic recount of 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 how you're actually or how the thought of health health conscious actually came to be. So where do you see this going beyond uh, kind of helping people out during your time off from from what you're doing or as you're planning your next venture here, Carolyn? Where do you want this effort to go? Uh, and I think the website, once again, just to plug in, it's it's healthtechhunches.com uh, and and it's it's available and you can also follow, follow Carolyn on LinkedIn as well just to kind of get more updates on all things related to this and many others. But uh, yeah, so over to you, Carolyn, in terms of what, where do you see the long-term direction of, of health tech hunches and how it can help people? No, that's a great question, Arun. I would say, you know, the mission is the same, right? Helping the next generation of talent enter digital health. But I'm flexible how we get there. I, I you know, pl- plan to continue these Ask Me any se- Anything sessions every week. That's gone well. People like them. Um, and we have speakers who are game to get on. So it's been a, it's been a nice kind of cadence. So we plan to do that. Um, you know, I, I feel very fortunate. I've had actually a number of folks reach out, you know, potential to partner. So I could see myself working with another organization that has similar goals. Right now, my biggest goal is to make this operationally sustainable, right? It's, it's a pretty big lift to be throwing an event every single week. And so I'm putting the, you know, the pieces in place for this to be sustained long term. The other beautiful thing is that we've got a bunch of students going through this program who are very passionate about it. And I have to say, you know, 
We want to thank all of the student ambassadors who spread the word, you know, across the different universities and also our speakers. You know, all these folks are fantastic volunteers that have enabled this to happen. As those students graduate, we're hoping they'll be the next generation of speakers because number one, they've got great experience. They're going out into these digital health companies and they'll change the world, right? And then come back and, and share with the next generation. But it's good to have people who, you know, say 10, 15 years out of their MBA or their MD, and also folks who are just one year out because they know exactly how to pivot. They know exactly how to get in the door because they just did it. So that's what I'm thinking is maybe there's two types of series that we do in the future. Time will tell. But I'm always up for trying new things and, and kind of pivoting depending on the needs of our, our community. Yeah. So first, everybody should go and take a look at healthtechhunches.com. And then how do, if there are people interested, I think they attend the sessions, etc. I think that's a given. But if they want to help, I think they should. How should they get in touch with you, Carolyn? Yep. So I think the the key thing that we're looking for right now are more student ambassadors because we've built up a program. I think we all know you walk before you crawl before you run. Right. So in the beginning, we started at Duke. Then we brought in a number of other MBA programs. Now we're expanding to MD programs. And ideally, I'd have student ambassadors for every MD and MBA program across the country, right? And then other programs, too, that may be synergistic, right? You're always looking for a diverse audience with homogeneous interests because, you know, that, that way when they show up, they know it's going to be relevant yeah. to them, right? So uh, I'd love to have ambassadors at more schools. I think that's the next step because as long as we're doing this, we want to touch as many students as we can who will benefit from the program. That's that's. Great. And thank you so much for sharing that um, about Health Tech Hunches. And we will put all that information in the show notes as well so people can go and get that. And uh, if there's anything that we can do, Jojo and I can do to help you in this effort, let us know and we'll gladly do that. Um, and thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us about your journey and also more importantly about, about your uh, recent effort and initiative Health Tech Hunches. Thank you so much, Carolyn. Well, thank you. It's an absolute pleasure. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. The clips are officially owned and is a property of Scraps, a brand jointly owned by Arun Sridhar and Jojo Blatt. No reproduction of content should be undertaken without the permission. Sainthan Chandran was the editor and our soundtrack was by Acetad. And we'll be back soon with another installment of Scraps, which is just Sparks, spelled backwards. It really is that simple to remember. Okay, 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 okay.